0: you'd open your Bibles with me today to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, I'd like to look at verses 1 through 12 today. I've entitled today's message, Wake Up and Grow Up. Aren't you glad you came to church? Wake up and grow up. Jesus is going to be ministering about the signs of the times. And I couldn't help but think of the signs of times in our generation, what we're seeing. I found this quote from Greg Laurie recently, and I'd like to read it to you. It says, Understand the things that are happening in our culture today might be frightening at times. But consider this, just as it seems that things are coming apart, in another way they are coming together. Bible prophecies are being fulfilled before our very eyes. So what should we do in light of all that is happening around us right now? First of all, we shouldn't panic. The fact is that the church often thrives when it stands in sharp contrast to the cultures around it. We need to pray that America has a spiritual awakening. That is really our only hope. There is no political Messiah that will save us. This is bigger than politics. This is bigger than culture. We need a spiritual solution. The United States needs a spiritual awakening like it has never needed before. We need to pray for that and we need to pray for the church. Amen. This is, I believe, a very exciting time to be living for the Lord. I believe we're living in a, in a time that is you know, being uh, significantly prophetic. We see passages in the scripture and we, we can see that God is getting ready to move. And as we look at our text here today, I believe that we'll see Jesus calling his disciples to be discerning of the times as well. Let's remember our context here as we look at chapter 16. Uh, Jesus has just finished in chapter 15 ministering out in the surrounding Gentile territory. He's not been in Israel ministering to the Jews. In chapter 15, he was outside of Israel ministering to Gentiles. And we see this beautiful work of God working out in the Gentiles. But now, chapter 16, he's returned. He's come back to the Jewish territory. And what what he finds is, is immediately he is confronted by the unbelieving religious and political leaders of his day. I'd like to break today's text up into two sections, verses one through four, we'll talk about testing and verses five through twelve, we'll talk about training. First, let's consider this testing of Jesus, verse one, then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when? It is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, and he left them. And departed. In this passage of testing, I'd like us to consider three things: unbelief, undiscerning and unsaved. Look with me about unbelief from these Pharisees and Sadducees. It says that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test and confront Jesus. Now, these were two different groups within Jesus's day. These were groups that rarely got along. This would be like Republicans and Democrats coming together. These are two completely opposite uh, religious kind of sects, and they come together, they find unity to confront and contend Jesus. You know something is up when two polar opposites come to agreement. They are really agreed that Jesus has to go. The Pharisees were the conservative, legalistic leaders of the day. These were the ones that were very strict in following the details of the law, and not only the law, but the the traditions that they had added to the law. And they became very self-righteous, very proud of their religious accomplishments and their keeping of religious rules and duty. And they were outward, very conforming, but inwardly their hearts were Unconverted, They were outwardly performing spiritually, but inwardly their hearts were far from the Lord. This describes the Pharisees. Now, the Sadducees, they were the very liberal, materialistic, politically connected spiritual leaders of the day. They didn't care much for all the strict details of the Pharisees. Rather, they were looking to make merchandise out of the faith. These were the ones that managed the temple business And you remember Jesus, when he went to the temple, turning over the tables, saying that you've turned the Lord's house of prayer into a den of thieves. It was the Sadducees who oversaw that money enterprise. And these were very politically motivated and connected individuals. They uh, opposed Jesus along with the Pharisees, even though they disliked each other. They found unity in opposing Christ. Boy, it's true today. Many enemies find unity when they come against the people of God, against Christ, against the work of God. There seems to be great camaraderie, even amongst, amongst people who would rarely get along. But so it was in the day of Jesus. And it says that they came testing him and asked him that he would show a sign from heaven. They're coming in unbelief. They're not coming for, on a, with a sincere searching for truth. This is not them hoping to find something in Christ that they can believe in. This is men that are hardened in unbelief. They're looking to discredit him by challenging him to perform some sign from heaven. Now, hadn't Jesus already been performing many signs in their midst? Jesus had already been fulfilling much of the prophetic uh, messianic promises concerning the Christ. He had been in their nation. His ministry was not done in some secret corner. He walked and traveled the land. They had seen the miracles. They had seen the demonic deliverance. They had seen this working of God through Christ. And yet their hearts were still hard, not enough for me. Not enough, say the Pharisees and Sadducees. No, no, we don't want to believe those signs. We want to see you do some kind of a sign from heaven. They rejected the signs that God had already performed. They wanted something more spectacular, maybe fire from heaven, maybe some signs in the sky. Of course, this is not the way the Lord works. God does not give more light when the light that you have is rejected and and hardened against. You have to respond to what God reveals and then he reveals even more. That's what faith is all about. God is looking for faith. So they are simply coming in unbelief. It's not some effort to to find something good and worthy in Jesus. They're trying to discredit him, trying to get him uh, to be, you know, rejected by the people. The second thing we see here in this first point of testing, not only were they unbelieving, but they were undiscerning. They were undiscerning, hypocrites, Jesus said, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. You guys are pretenders. You guys pretend that you're spiritually wise and discerning, but clearly you are stubbornly blind, willfully blind. It's not that you can't discern because you can discern the weather when the sky is red in the evening, you know that. Uh, the, the morning will be pleasant. If it's red in the morning, you know, the weather will be foul. But you have discernment, but you refuse to discern the spiritual signs of your times. Think about it. Jesus Christ in their midst. Jesus Christ in their generation. Jesus coming to them as the Messiah to their nation. And they missed it completely. Completely. They refused to see it, and their discernment was blinded. They refused to discern based on their unbelief. I'm amazed at how some who are so intelligent, so well-studied, cannot understand some of the simple spiritual truths of the Bible. It's like there is some kind of a stubborn rejection against even the common sense truth that the Bible offers. And we're not talking about people that are, you know, can't see it. We're talking about people who won't see it, refuse to see it. And this is a rebuke. Jesus is rebuking them. God is speaking you through the signs of the times, but you're not seeing them. You're not seeing the clear evidence of what God is doing in your generation. And I, I would say, is God speaking to us in the signs? Of the times, Are we listening? Are we discerning? I'd like to talk a little bit about this before we move on. I, I want to talk about considering the signs of the times. You know, the Bible talks about times of the end, the latter days, the, the time of the end. And there are prophetic things that we find throughout the scriptures. And believe it or not, we're beginning to see many of those passages come to fulfillment. This is not intended to be a prophecy update, but I, I just want to at least inform you and kind of uh, entice you to consider the season in which you're living in. The Bible talks about this great unrest that we are seeing in the Middle East. The Bible in Isaiah chapter 17 prophesies the destruction of Damascus. Now, Damascus is the city in Syria where Syria is headquartered. That's the city where the Russians are now bringing in their military weapons and staffing. Interesting that this civil war in Syria, it's headquartered in Damascus. Is it coincidence that Isaiah 17 calls for a destruction of that city? Damascus is the oldest populated city in the world. It's never been destroyed, as the Bible defines it, where it is uninhabitable. And yet the scripture calls that I wonder if all of this activity centered there is merely coincidence or are we living in prophetic times? Psalm 83, there are many who believe that that's describing a battle from between Israel and some of her surrounding enemies, those that want her gone, those that reject her living in the land. And that some believe that that is getting ready and brewing to, a, to occasion. Probably the most prophetic uh, scene, sign that we have is the fact that Israel is back in the nation. You know that for almost 2,000 years, Israel didn't even exist. They didn't even have a homeland. There was no Israel. The Jewish people were scattered abroad. There were some living in the land, but they did not have their own nation. And yet the scriptures talked about so much of end-time prophecies that would be fulfilled in Israel. Many Bible scholars, because Israel didn't exist, they looked for other interpretations of those passages, thinking they must be spiritually fulfilled or allegorically fulfilled. Because Israel didn't even exist, how could God fulfill them? But then, lo and behold, 1948, Israel becomes a nation in our time in just after the World War, Second World War, Israel is now back on the map and all these prophecies have come to light in a new light, that God's timepiece, Israel, is now starting in motion again. And we see much of the prophecies concerning Israel in the, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, specifically mentioning the times of the end, that there would be an alliance of nations that would come up against Israel in battle. And the two leading, and the Bible actually calls out the specific nations, and two of the leading nations that will lead this confederate are Russia and Iran. Interesting that we see Russia and Iran starting to get cozy here, right? Now, we know how Iran feels about Israel, right? Well, now we see Russia aligning itself with Iran, aligning itself with Syria. Is this just coincidence or is God beginning to set the table for the last act, the last play of this of this age? I believe that we are seeing prophetic times in our day, in our generation. And again, there's much more to say on this. But today I'm simply alerting you. Listen, be discerning of the time in which you live we're living in prophetic times. What about just the culture and what we see going on in our nation? This, this turning away from God. The things that are so disturbing to us. Are they, do they catch us off guard or did God also warn that perilous times would come? I remind you of 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. Do you feel like some of that describes the culture and the direction that we're moving in as a nation. This unloving, this, this unthankful, this uh, lovers of money, lovers of themselves. I think about some of the videos that have been released concerning the abortion industry in our country. If you're watching any of the news cycles, you have to be offended by what you see, that, that these government-funded facilities are purposefully uh, uh, harvesting these baby body parts for sale to researchers. And they're doing uh, really illegal things, so it seems, in order to make sure they maximize the opportunity. Can you imagine killing a baby in the womb in such a way that you could harvest its tissue, its brain, its body parts for research and selling it in auction. We see our nation redefining God's institution and definition of marriage. We see so much of the breakdown within traditional biblical family values. We see economic unrest. Do these? What do these signs tell us? Are we to panic or are we to recognize that we are living in serious times? I believe it's a call to the church. I believe it's a call to believers to wake up and to recognize the season in which God has trusted you to live out your faith. God's word is true. It's time to recognize that we are in the last days, that we are in the times of the end and that Jesus's return is near. And so it's not a time to be afraid and in panic, but rather a time to be drawing close to the Lord, recognizing the time in which you live. I want to share this passage out of Romans chapter 13. I think it's so appropriate to what I'm speaking. Verse 11, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first when we first believed. Now, if it was nearer in the day that Paul wrote to Rome, you know, it's much nearer to us. Verse 12, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. This is Paul writing to the Romans, and I think it speaks to us today. It's time to wake up and walk properly. How should we respond to these times? Should we just be afraid and just retreat and hole up as Christians and hide out for wait for Jesus to return? Or should we begin to live as Christians in our generation? Time to wake up and walk properly. He says, stop living in darkness. This is not a time to be in revelry and drunkenness. This is not a time to be engaged in lewdness and lust. Now, there's never a time for these things, but especially in now it being high time, strife and envy. He calls out these things of darkness and he says, quit walking in darkness, start walking and living in the light. And he says, put on the armor of light. We remember Ephesians talking about the armor of God. Those things that, that, that Paul talks out uh, calls out specifically, some defensive weapons, that is truth and righteousness, faith and salvation, right? Faith is a shield. Salvation is a helmet. Start walking in the fullness of what God has done for you in salvation, drawing close to the Lord, putting on Jesus Christ, living like a Christian, living like you are filled with the Holy Spirit, He goes on and talks about the offensive weapons. He says your feet should be shod with the gospel of peace. In other words, wherever you go, you're bringing the gospel. That's what's needed in our generation. That's what's needed in every generation. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You're the the gospel bearers. You're the ones that are bringing that into this generation. He talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's time to know the word. It's time to... Preach the word. It's time to study the word and and believe the word. And Paul in Ephesians six also talks about with all kinds of prayer, praying. Prayer. You know, it's time for the church to wake up. It's time for the church to walk properly. It's time for the Christians to pray and put on Christ. This is not a season to be uh, distracted. This is not a season to be entangled. Entangled. No, it's a time to wake up, Roman says, and walk properly. And so I believe Jesus rebuking his, the religious leaders of his day. I, I challenge our hearts as the religious and spiritual people of our day. The third thing we see here in the testing section is not only were they uh, unbelieving, Not only were they undiscerning, but in the end, they remain unsaved. Look at verse four, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed a wicked and adulterous generation. He says you've ignored God's clear signs, but are demanding your own. None will be given to you. You've not been discerning. You've not been believing. You've not taken what God has already clearly shown you. Instead, you want God to perform a sign of your choosing. And if He'll do what you think He should do, then you'll cooperate. Then you'll accept. God's not on your program. God leaves them in their unbelief. If you will not believe what He has given, then nothing more will be given except for one more sign. He says the sign of the prophet Jonah. Of course, we know from earlier uh, study of of this this statement that Jesus said that he's talking about the death and resurrection. In the same way that Jonah was in the belly of the whale and then came out on the shores of Nineveh, so Jesus would would die on the cross for the sins of men, would go into the grave and would rise up. Jesus said there's only one more sign. And that's going to be my death and resurrection. But even that sign, these unbelieving religious leaders would fail to believe. They would reject even Jesus rising from the dead. Listen, that's still the sign. That's still the sign by which we come to faith. The cross and the resurrection. These are the, this is the sign that we hold dear. This is how we come to a place of belief. A place of discernment and a place of salvation, and apart from it, they remained unsaved. It says, and he left them and departed again i, I just I can't help but think of the sadness of that statement. The religious leaders the the rulers of the religious community god's people, they' are in the heart of Israel, and Jesus, after rebuking them he he leaves them and departs from them. He has he leaves them unsaved. It caused me to think of this passage in Jeremiah chapter eight and verse twenty. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. It is such a sad testimony of these religious leaders that he left them and departed. But it is sad for all hearts when the harvest is past. And the summer has ended and they remained unsaved. Oh, this is not a time to be missing opportunities to believe. This is not a time to be missing opportunities to share what you believe. Lest the harvest pass, summer end, and there be many still unsaved. I believe God would call us to wake up. The second section here in our text, turn back with me to Matthew chapter 16, and we'll talk about training. That's the testing, Jesus confronting the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees. But now he turns to his disciples. He'll turn this into a teaching, a training opportunity, an object lesson. Look with me in verse five. Now, when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up. How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Jesus is now in training mode. He's left the unbelieving, undiscerning, and now he's speaking to his followers, his disciples, the men that he's looking to develop into those that will carry the ministry forward. These are the men that will launch the New Testament church. We see three things in this section. We see Jesus' warning. We see his reminding and we see him bringing them to understanding. Warning, reminding, and understanding. First, the warning. Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, we understand that leaven is that yeast that is placed into a a, a loaf of bread, placed into the dough, and as it goes in there, it permeates the dough and causes the dough to rise. So the yeast, although just a small portion is introduced into the dough, it permeates the entire loaf. And we see here, Jesus is using something of an analogy in the same way that that this teaching and doctrine of the Pharisees has filled their hearts. Be careful, lest it also creep into your hearts and you become influenced by the the same things that have hardened them. And it's a warning. And He's warning them of the leaven, the, the legalism of the Pharisees and the liberalism of the Sadducees. It's hard for us to imagine that they should be warned of the same kinds of dangers that are seen so clearly in the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I mean, as we read the Gospels, you know, we, we see Jesus contending with these guys throughout all the Gospels. And in our minds, we think, man, these guys just missed it. Man, how could these guys be so blind? How could these guys be so hard? How could these guys be so stubborn? And we imagine, man, I could never be that blind and stubborn. And yet Jesus turns to his disciples and says, careful, guys. The same kinds of things you're seeing in them, be careful. Your own heart could be influenced by these things as well. So we must take this warning seriously. It's to all of his disciples That legalism of the Pharisees, these are dangerous influences today as well. Legalism is that self-righteous work-based religion where I do and I accomplish and I feel so good about my checklist and I'm diligent and works, works, works. And I earn my merit and my standing before God as I work and tire myself in Effort. and this is the, the the legalism of the Pharisees. They imagined themselves on, honorable before God because of their own self-righteous religion, the outward performance. And Jesus said that's don't let that influence into your heart. God's not interested in performance on the outside. He's looking for transformation on the inside a relationship, sincere heart and trust in him. He'll take care of the outside as you give him. Sincerely, all that you are on the inside. The other warning, of course, is the the leaven of the Sadducees, and these were the, the liberal minds of the day, compromising and accommodating, looking to fit in with the Roman rule, looking to maximize their opportunity within the culture. They had not much interest in the strict observance of the scriptures and many of the scriptures they didn't even accept. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in resurrection. They were just looking to kind of be culturally relevant and maximize their opportunity. Man pleasers, if you will. And this compromise exists today in our culture. Be careful of both types of leaven. They are dangerous. Colossians 2 and verse 8 tells us this. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or, and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. This warning is that we are to hold fast to the word of God and the relationship and faith that we enjoy in Christ. The second thing we see Jesus doing here in this section of training, of course, he is reminding them, reminding them of those things that he has done faithfully in their, before their eyes, the, the multiplying of the fish and the loaves. Now, look with me again. Look at verse 5. Matthew kind of sets the stage for this exchange. He says in verse 5, Now, when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. So Matthew lets us know that these guys had gotten over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and they didn't pack enough provision. They hadn't they didn't have bread with them. So this was their mindset. They get to the other side. And where what are they thinking about? They're thinking about lunch. They're thinking about food. They're thinking about we didn't bring, we forgot to bring bread. And so when Jesus says, you know, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees, immediately they think it says in verse seven, they reason among themselves saying it's because we forgot to take bread. He's talking about leaven because he knows he's busting us about the bread. We don't have bread and now he's upset. And so he's kind of, you know, giving us this little gentle condemnation about leaven. And, you know, they're just all confused. They're not able to accept and receive the spiritual training that Jesus is trying to bring. Because they're preoccupied with the physical. They're preoccupied with circumstance. Doesn't that sound like somebody you know? Maybe you or I were so caught up and focused on the physical that we miss the spiritual. Jesus does not talking about bread. Notice what he says. "O you of little faith. He he rebukes them about faith. It's not a lack of understanding. It's not a lack of information or intellectual ability. It's not like these guys are dense. It's faith. You're not walking in faith. You're preoccupied with provision, and so you're missing the spiritual truth and training that I have for you. And I just ask my own heart how much have I missed because my eyes were on my circumstance rather than Jesus, rather than focusing on Him? How many trials? Have I gone through that have failed to mature my faith because I've been so busy being anxious and worried and complaining about the trial? James tells us that that the trials that the Lord allows into our life are to mature and perfect our faith. That's why he says, consider it all joy. I have a terrible time with that. I don't I don't consider any trials with joy. I first get anxious and worried and complain and then after a while of that, trying that and not really getting anywhere, then I kind of wake up, okay I, I guess I'm gonna have to learn through this. I guess God's I'm gonna have to allow the Lord to use this in my life. God's trying to do something spiritual in me and all I can think about is my natural circumstance. And this is the struggle. This is the struggle with the disciples. That's why he says, Do you do you not yet understand? Don't you remember? You guys are in trial. You're worried about bread. Don't you remember the multiplication and the thousands that we fed with with just a few loaves of bread and fish? Don't you remember? Do you really think I'm worried about bread? Do you really think I'm talking about lunch? I'm talking about spiritual things, guys. Pay attention. You are going to be carrying the torch. I'm going to be giving the church and its birth to you. You're going to, I'm going to build my church on your witness, your testimony. It's time to grow up. It's time to start understanding spiritual things and quit being bogged down in the natural. Time to start learning these lessons of faith. Time to understand the Word of God. Time to notice and remember His faithfulness. In your life. So often we are we are caught up in the anxiety over a trial, and yet all we have to do is look back a little bit and we can see how God has been so faithful to so many for so for so long. I have so many wonderful testimonies of how God has brought me through and met me. And yet, my trial today, I wonder if He's going to get me through. I, he must be talking about bread. And I miss what God is trying to bring. Listen to these passages out of 1 Corinthians and also the book of Hebrews. I'll have them for you on the overhead. 1 Corinthians 3, two, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. Hebrews 5.12 For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Where are we, church? Where are we in history? What, what, what is the season and the sign of times that we are living in? And where are we today in our own faith, in our own prayer life, in our own journey? Are we worried about bread and provision, and circumstance, and trial? Or are we growing and learning to trust in Jesus and recognize that He has placed us here in this generation, in this time, for such a time as this? And that we are to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be salt and light. We are to be the witness, the the body of Christ in a dark time. What that so desperately needs the fullness of the church. The final thing we see and we close here in understanding Jesus, Jesus isn't beating these guys down. Jesus is just bringing them along. You know, Jesus has to challenge us once in a while. He loves these guys. He's not giving up on these guys. He's not quitting on these guys. Nobody gets kicked out. Judas will kick himself out. But Jesus goes the distance with them as he does with us. And he brings them to what? To understanding. And that's the grace of God. Then they've understood that he did not tell them to beware of leaven, but bread, Uh, be aware of the leaven of bread, but rather the doctrine and of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is the result of Jesus' patient, gracious teaching. He lovingly brings them into the understanding of truth. And this is what God is desiring to do in our lives, too. God is not trying to hide things from us. We're just distracted. God is speaking. The signs are all about. And God is teaching for those that are listening, for those that are studying, for those that are growing up in him, awake and growing. I want to close. I'm going to read this passage because this is my heart for you. This is my heart for our church. I pray that we would be a growing and thriving church. Not When I say growing and thriving, I don't mean numerically. I mean spiritually, that we would be a force in this generation. That God's Spirit would be working through us. That there would be, this would be a place where people could come, hear the gospel, get their lives anchored in the Word of God, find good Christian fellowship to encourage and to pray, and to see God's kingdom advancing even in what looks to be troubled times. I think God wants to do more. I don't think the harvest is over. I don't think summer has ended. I think God wants to work. And I want us to be a part of that. And this is my prayer. This is a prayer that the Apostle Paul wrote over the church in Colossae. It's a little long. Let me read it to you and I'll close. This is my prayer for us as well. For this reason, we also Colossians one verse nine. For this reason, we also since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Now, listen to what he's praying and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will In all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Listen to this. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and he has conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Oh, let that be the prayer of our heart. Let that be the prayer over your family. Let that be the prayer over your own life and the prayer over our church. Let's let's close. Thank you, Lord for your word to us today. Thank you, Lord, for the disciples and the training that you brought them through. Because, Lord, we find training for our hearts today as well. A call to maturity, really. A a call to start being more discerning. A a call, really, to grow in faith. The, The challenge to the disciples was their little faith. And so, God, I pray that our hearts would be Compelled to grow today in faith, that we would be mindful of what you've done for us, the redemption that we have, the forgiveness of our sins, the power that lives and dwells and works within us, and that we would come into the fullness that you have. And as our heads are bowed here today and we we close in prayer, I, I do want to give opportunity if you're here today and you need to respond to the word. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with God, you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never received this redemption, this forgiveness that he has provided for you at the cross and his resurrection. If he's speaking to your heart now, I want to pray. If you want to receive him, if you want that cleansing brought into your life through faith in Christ, I want to pray for you. I don't want the harvest to pass. I don't want the summer to end and you not be saved. If you're here today and you need Jesus, we're going to pray in just a moment. Maybe you're here today and you need to rededicate, recommit your life to him. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what? I'm not awake. I'm a Christian. I've accepted Christ, but I'm I'm not awake. I'm, I'm still living. Like I'm asleep, I'm still living in those areas of darkness. I've not come fully to the light. I've not put on Jesus as I should. I'm not living for Him. I'm not walking in that close relationship. I'm not living discerning as He would ask me to. And that may be you today as well. And, and I'd love to pray for you. This is a time. It's no shame when we dedicate your heart to the. What would be tragic is if you need to and you don't. So if you're here today and you want to receive Jesus for the very first time in your life, or you want to rededicate, recommit your life to him, I would ask you now to raise your hand where you're seated. Let me see you and I'll pray for you. God bless you in the back. bless you here in the center. Any others, the Lord speaking to your heart today. God bless you. Wants to convey you out of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Just before I pray, anyone else? And so, Lord, for these hearts responding to you today, I pray, O oh God, that you would meet them with your grace. Father, I pray that your Spirit would just touch them in such a profound way that they would know for certain. It's You speaking to them today. It's You working in their heart today. It's Your Word that's coming to life. That they would simply come and be with a sincere heart. They would simply say, Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me from my sin. I believe that You died on that cross and rose from the dead for me. I want You to come into my life and not only cleanse me, but I want You to change me more. And as you change me, God, I want you to begin to lead me and guide me. I I want to live the fullness of what you've called me to. I want to bear all the fruit that you've planned for my life. I want to be faithful in my generation. I want to see Christ come alive in my heart today and walking through the rest of my days. We ask it all in Jesus' name.